Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Big episode of The Greatest Discovery today, Adam. It's our 150th. This is the only thing I've ever done 150 times (laughs) in my life. Uh, That's not true because we also have another Star Trek podcast that we made over 150 episodes. Oh, right. (laughs) My memory is terrible. Yeah. So is my record keeping. (laughs) Second combination. But it's also a big deal because it'll be the first one that is edited and taken across the finish line by Wendy Pretty, our new full-time producer. I already feel in better hands than I ever was with you or me. I know, I know. We're bad at at the things that she is good at. And uh, (laughs) we were just marveling before we got on at this spreadsheet she made to keep track of just ideas for bonus episodes and stuff that's already recorded that isn't released yet. Yeah. And it's like, so much more comprehensive and organized than I even thought possible. Like, I didn't know an, as much information existed about our shows as she put into this spreadsheet. <laughs> you and I can make spreadsheet. Yeah. And by that, and definitionally, I mean the most basic field of squares where we enter <laughs> shit in. Yeah. I know how to make a column have like a product at the bottom. Yeah. You know? She's got stuff happening under the hood of this spreadsheet that I've never even heard of that I didn't know was possible. That's not all she can do. I feel like Wendy could like program a TI-86 calculator game into Google Spreadsheets and it would be playable. (laughs) You know, it's great. We're going to learn a lot about her based on how much she chooses to include of this (laughs) in the show. I have a campaign to change people's minds about spreadsheets. But 150 episodes, it's it's a big milestone in and of itself. And I feel like it's really cool that it coincides with our new producer coming on board. Yeah. It's good to celebrate the milestones, right? It is. And it's all enabled by the generous support of the Friends of DeSoto. It's like, uh, it's it's just good, warm, fuzzy feelings is all I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Very fuzzy. Like the inside of a new sweatshirt. (laughs) how long do you wait to wash your sweatshirt for the very first time because man oh yeah i ride that out yeah too long too long too long because i want the softness i want it to last forever yeah you know like new pair of socks you know you gotta wash after that first one but you wish you didn't you know yeah and a sweatshirt you can really you can really ride for a long time yeah you can take it to a disgusting absurdity (laughs) In terms of length. Yeah. I had a pair of pants that I took to a disgusting absurdity (laughs) recently, and I just got them out of the wash today, and I put them back on after basically wearing them nonstop every day for three weeks, and I made some salad dressing for myself at lunch, and I I went to shake it up, and I got oily salad dressing all over the crotch. Something has happened to me during pandemic where (laughs) I am constantly spilling shit in my crotch. Uh-huh. I've become apron man in the kitchen. I am I don't even cross the threshold of the kitchen with, before putting on an apron because I've been so sloppy in there lately. Wow. That's so unlike you too. You're such a neat man. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? Most people, when when they're asked to describe me, do say I'm neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a he's a neat guy. He's yeah, really neat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's because I keep doing the same thing with my shorts and pants, like oil. Yeah. It sucks to launder out. It's hard to get out. Yeah. I'm soaking my my garments in order to get the oil out. And that's a process I don't want to be involved in. One time when I was in middle school, I, I came to school wearing a combination of a pair of pants and a shirt. I don't believe this. And my best friend said, hey, I know you've worn those together before. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you've got... You've got like a ketchup stain that lines up. <laughs> like I had spilled something down the shirt and onto the pants <laughs> where you could see that it was one contiguous spill that had been laundered, but not completely. <laughs> That's one of my favorite tricks that Bill Tilly does with the trading cards that he posts on Twitter is sometimes you'll see a phaser blast go from the left side of a diptych to the right side uh-huh. <laughs> and perfectly align. Like That's what you did with ketchup. Yeah, I did that with some type of sauce. I don't know if it was ketchup for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. I bet as a kid you had, uh, you didn't have the taste for ketchup. I bet you were you were into exotic sauces. No, I like you? I like ketchup. I think what turned me off of ketchup was working in a restaurant and having to marry the ketchup bottles at the end of the night. You're not supposed to do that. Which is illegal, but it's also totally disgusting. <laughs> It just made me think that ketchup was gross, and especially like the ketchup in a bottle on the table in a restaurant is probably just like a hive of bacteria. I haven't poked around your fridge in quite a while, but you seem like <laughs> someone for whom this experience with the ketchup bottles probably changed you yeah. going forward. Yeah. And now you don't want to combine condiments at all in adulthood. I keep them separated. I get excited about like you go to the farmer's market and you see the guy selling the olives oh, yeah. and, the, and the pickles oh, yeah. and all that. And I buy like six bottles because I don't know if I'm going to see this old guy again. Yeah. I mean, it may just be, he may not even be real. He might just be a ghost and his booth is an apparition <laughs> that I've walked in. Yeah. So I exchange the money for his jars of vegetables and then I bring them home and then I open them the one time and I use them the one time yeah. and then they're in the fridge for another two years. Yeah. You got to get through those fancy foods, man. Like you get them and you got to use them. They cease to be fancy if they've been opened and they're in your fridge for longer than a week. <laughs> they're no longer fancy. Well, pickles hang out. Pickles are good to go for a long time. Yeah. Do you save your pickle juice? Because I, I've been doing that. That's another pandemic thing I've been doing. Oh, yeah. My uh, my wife's cousin is a home pickler. He made a jar of pickles for a friend of the family, and she's had this same pickle brine for years, and she goes and buys like corny Vlasic-level pickles from the grocery store, dumps out the, the brine in that jar, and pours in the brine from my wife's cousin, She's got a mother brine. And she's had it for like over a decade at this point. What the fuck? <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Her pickle brine is as seasoned as the greatest discovery is as a podcast. She pours it into a container, eats the pickles out of that, and then pours it into the next. Yeah. And the next. And on and on. <laughs> it just keeps going and going and going and going. I don't understand how it keeps replenishing. I don't either. I think this is that booth magic that I was talking about at the farmer's market. It might be ghost, Brian. God. (laughs) Wow. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, Ben. 
That was my goal when we stepped to the mics today. I want a little shot glass of that Mother Brian to bring home, and then I just yeah. want to see it multiply in my fridge. You, you put like a little mini Cornish on in it yeah. and just watch it. Yeah, watch it turn into an ear of corn. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. In like a, a giant glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how magic works. That's how you get into the magic castle as a performer. Well- a bunch of magical scenes in the episode of Star Trek Prodigy today, Ben. Yeah. Scenes that are indistinguishable for magic, you might say. Mm, yeah. Let's get into it, Adam. It's the 150th episode of The Greatest Discovery and the seventh episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Is it really the seventh? I had the sixth down. Fuck, you're right. It's the sixth. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend I said it right the first time. It's called Kobayashi. Yeah, so we thought we were going to just keep doing Discovery straight on through until the end. Here we are, back with our kids show. What? It's not Discovery this week? Yeah. (laughs) I was shocked that we come back into this episode of Prodigy, a show which hasn't been showing new episodes for, as you said, six or seven weeks. Yeah. And every other Star Trek show gives us a last time on catch-up reel. What is up with this kids show not catching up the kids? We get nothing. Yeah. I was surprised by that too. Do you think that it is a kids don't need it because their memories are so different from adult memories? Or do you think it is a just like, we don't have time for that because it's a 24 minute episode kind of thing? I mean, I wonder if to a kid, a catch up reel isn't more confusing maybe. Maybe. With all that's happened, they do a fair amount in this episode of contextually placing us with the characters and and how they've gotten there. So I'm kind of curious about it. If you're a kid, stop listening to this show. This is this is not appropriate. I, I think most kids turned off the show during pickle talk. <laughs> which like which is worse than profanity, I think, in terms yeah. of turnoffs for kids. Yeah, what kids don't want to hear. Yeah. Uh, This episode starts with what Adam wants to hear. Something that Adam loves a show to start with is the sound of terrified screaming of children. Oh, yeah. That's what I have in my white noise machine (laughs) when I'm winding down to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that whir of the white noise, but then very quietly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, protostar comes out of this super warp that they've been in. We don't really get a clear answer on how fast they were going because Jengam Pog, who seems to have some Murph barf on the side of his face, he's not really up for uh, quantifying it. It seems like they did go very, very fast and they went very, very far. Did you understand that they went from the Delta Quadrant to the Gamma Quadrant here? Yeah, I mean, when Hollow Janeway kind of brings up the star map, that's what the dotted line indicates. Yeah. Except it's an unbelievable amount of distance that they've traveled. I don't think anyone quite believes it in the moment, right? You can also sort of see that Hologram Janeway is like semi-heartbroken at the existence of this technology because she's probably thinking about what real Janeway went through. Yeah, it's got to just make her hollow ache to see how easy this was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> She's going to be aching for a different reason at the end of the episode that we'll get to. But yeah. for now, I have no idea. They have ditched the diviner. 
you know, like an essential quality of movies aimed at kids in like the 80s and 90s, the Home Alones and similar, <laughs> is the joy that a child feels when given the freedom from their overbearing parents. <laughs> it's so interesting the choice this show makes with how sad Gwyn is about her dickhead dad. Yeah. She really loves Mrs. and cares about that guy, and he's a fucking trash man. Yeah. We get an age on Gwyn in this episode. She's 17, and I wonder if that is a she's old enough to realize like how much of her life she's been kind of used by him. Yeah. I mean, you see how exactly she's used by him also later on in the episode in a fairly gruesome scene for a kid's show. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, some of the crew barge in on Dal while he's playing Suck Disc by himself. Uh, you do not want to be interrupted while playing Suck Disc by yourself. <laughs> so many things that happen in this episode. I was just like, the implications of this are actually like kind of fucked up. Yeah. That's a highly addictive substance that Dal is messing around with. And he's a child. <laughs> yeah. He's now hooked on disc cocaine. Cool. <laughs> but uh, Pog and Zero and Rock Talk report that uh, aside from Dal, there is basically unanimous support among the crew for turning themselves into Starfleet and the Federation. Hey, I'm just going to address the uh, the team behind Star Trek Prodigy here. I'm just going to look directly into the camera when I say this. <laughs> you had weeks during the hiatus to fix Rock Talk's mouth. <laughs> you didn't do it. You didn't address it at all. It's still gross as hell. I, I don't... I don't know how you're spending your time during the hiatus, but I think it was time to take that thing down to the studs mm. and reimagine the whole thing. <laughs> Instead, it's still a gross out. Just as gross as it always was. I like it more and more. I hate it. That's not good. All right. We've checked in. Adam still hates Rock Dogs now. <laughs> um, uh, the proto drive is dead, right? Like that's not... A way that they can move around anymore? Yeah, it was all sparkly, but uh, but the panel is showing it not sparkly at all anymore. That's too bad. Yeah. You could tell like Zero is really feeling for this moment because I think Zero has kind of a uh, pseudo-sexual interest in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere in between worshiping the proto-drive as a god right. and wanting to uh, hook up with the proto-drive, you know. Yeah. Something within that spectrum. Something to be revealed later. <laughs> but Dal is unconvinced because Murph is not there to register their vote. So they have to go off into the ship and look for Murph. And they're poking around. Dal finds Gwen in the bum out room. It's because I'm sad. She is feeling real bad about uh, the whole diviner situation. Dal explains to her that the only reason he rescued her was uh, because Hologram Janeway wouldn't let them leave without her. This is such a sophisticated ball kicking here because like, <laughs> I think you really have to be an adult to appreciate how misplaced gratitude is when the thing given wasn't intended. 
Yeah. Like this moment where, where Gwen's like, hey, thanks for saving me back there. And for Dal to be like, yeah, it wasn't something I wanted to do at all. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a Janeway thing. Like, I wonder if that stings to a kid the way that I really felt familiar when I watched the scene as an adult. It's kind of an intense character moment for Dal too, because he's so much of a character that is self-aggrandizing and mm-hmm. positioning himself as a hero in this scene, like totally selfless, I saved you even though I don't like you, mm-hmm. was an easy possibility for him. But instead he does the even meaner thing. <laughs> I only saved you because I had to, in spite of how much I don't like you. The depiction of Gwyn's, I mean, it's easy to call it just depression, whatever she's feeling right now, is... Interesting in that everyone is very concerned about what to do next. Right. Like, should we engage with the Federation or not? We may be in trouble if we go and talk to them with a stolen ship. That, I mean, it's easy to recognize that when you are on a severe bum out, you don't really care about what the next thing is. Yeah, Gwen is not casting a vote. She abstains. Yeah. They do catch up with Murph, uh, who is on the holodeck on what I was hoping would be the Ruripente holodeck Mm -hmm. simulation. Turns out it's Andor for real drag that uh, (laughs) it didn't turn out to be Ruripente. Work well, and you will be treated well. Work badly, and you will die. Yeah, Murph is being ridden to death and then carved open where uh, (laughs) his writer mentions that Murph smells exactly the same on the inside as he does on the outside. Janeway kind of takes them on a tour of what you can do in the holodeck, which is a fun reel of different sets landing finally on the Jane Eyre hollow novel that we've seen Janeway enjoying in a few episodes of Voyager, although we haven't in a long time over on our mainline Star Trek podcast. This is a hollow character in Janeway that is not programmed to feel any shame, I guess. There's coffee in the holographic simulation room. (laughs) Because I'd probably want to keep this to myself if I were her. She's uh, never been known as Captain Catherine Shameway. (laughs) (laughs) A perfectly believable kids moment here, though. As soon as the classics appear on screen, Dal is like, fuck this. I want to do Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) And then Janeway is like, wouldn't you rather do some coke and gives him the suck disc headset again. <laughs> Little more your speed. Whose side is Hollow Janeway on? <laughs> she wants him to get totally strung out on suck disc? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, kind of a dark moment for Hollow Janeway. But what this does is it gives us the Kobayashi Maru main title screen with character selection. Yeah. Like any video game would give you. And it's the bridge of the Enterprise D. I loved that it was the D. I I thought that that was kind of a fun curveball. Really beautifully rendered. I thought it looked great. It's in the art style of Star Trek Prodigy. You and I could draw the bridge of the D from memory, like, Uh easily. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you any details about the bridge of the Enterprise E, like, at all. Like, I could generally tell you where stuff was there. And I know a big part of that is like exposure bias, hundreds of episodes being with the D and a couple of hours being with the E. But I also think something is missing from the movie ship that makes it less 
interesting or memorable or whatever. There's a character to what's going on on the Bridge of the D that is just totally absent and yeah. clinical and and cold in the movie Ship Bridges that I wonder if they wish they couldn't have redone. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that like a million years ago on The Greatest Generation, how like when Star Trek The Next Generation started, they had the set for the bridge and engineering and a few other places. I don't think they had 10 forward in the pilot, but like they had enough of that ship worked out that was so iconic from episode one. Yeah. Like that is low-key the most amazing achievement of the pilot, I think, is is how perfect the ship is. Yeah, the sense of place. And like what a rich place it is to set stories in. I mean, original series Enterprise Bridges are as memorable as as the Enterprise D was, so I don't... Sure. So I want to also be clear, like I don't think it is necessarily just hours of exposure that makes the difference. I really do think something essential is lacking. Yeah. I don't think Deep Space Nine or Voyager has that, you know? Yeah. Like I don't I don't think of those bridges in the same way. Maybe it, it might be just the SNL cast that was on when you were a teenager, though. You think? I don't know. Anyway, it is nice to be home again. Yeah. In this place. There is a C storyline that only has a couple of beats in this episode. Uh, Rock Talk goes down to like the cargo area and finds Murph eating plasma grenades like Lay's potato chips. Bet you can't eat just one, Murph. <laughs> Murph looks a little sick, a little green under the gills. I was hoping Murph would stick one of these plasma grenades in Rock Talk's mouth and just fucking <laughs> end that atrocity. <laughs> Rock Talk has to have a, a, a mouth reconstruction surgery, and they're like, well, it's not going to look the same. Many people would say it looks better. <laughs> What was that movie with, uh, I've got to find this, Joyride. Do you remember Joyride? Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, Lili Zabieski. I don't remember this movie. One of the most memorable scenes in my entire movie going life is Paul Walker and Steve Zahn in a hospital seeing after a buddy of theirs uh -huh. who had like their lower jaw blown off. Oh. <laughs> And they cut to this person in profile where it's like, clearly, this person does not have a lower jaw. Uh, and it's nasty as hell. It's like one of those movie images that's never left my sick mind. <laughs> and uh, and just talking about what a plasma grenade could do to Rock Talk's head made me want that for Rock Talk. I'm scared, Dal. In a sick way. I knew that you were a little squeamish about Rock Talk's mouth, Adam. I did not know how deep that went. That is... <laughs> Horrifying. Candy cane. <laughs> Holy fuck. Anybody out there know candy cane? <laughs> what, what, what the? <laughs> I'm just getting word that our uh, our newly hired producer has left. Yeah, she's given notice <laughs> based on this episode. Ugh. Hey, speaking of uh, people in the hospital, Gwyn is uh, getting scanned by Zero in uh, Six Bay, which I guess is where she was bumming out earlier. Mm -hmm. um, her, her leg is all healed up. I guess that nano arm decoration set the bone really quickly. Yeah, you can't sign that, though. It's not, it's yeah. not as good as a cast. No. It's way worse than a cast. 
And also way better because you could shower with it, right? Oh, yeah. And and it's not going to grow hair in a weird way because it's all covered up. Well, and it's got a lot of openings. So if you get an itch, you don't have to stick one of those back scratchers down it and try and try and get the itch deep yeah. inside. You don't need an itch stick. <laughs> uh, Zero is trying to persuade Gwen to be a member of the crew and specifically to be not the captain, which I was not down with. Why is that? Because Zero's like making the case like, oh, you're like a linguist. So like, it's clearly like pushing her in the directions of a comms officer. Right. You know, the women of Star Trek are are <laughs> predetermined to be comms officers. Yeah. You could uh, wear a really short skirt and have a, a Bluetooth earpiece. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhur? Zero is already wearing a pot. So like, Zero could fit Gwyn with, with her own pot. Right, yeah. Just set her right over in the corner. Counselor Troy? Yeah, it's not super persuasive. I mean, what is, is Zero for being a smoke monster being that comes from kind of a greater giant smoke? Hijo de la chinga! Is that a joint, man? Zero expresses a longing for the life that they used to have, being a part of their, like, smoky hegemony. Hey, be careful with that shit, man. And what Zero does in this scene is kind of reassure Gwyn, like, look, we're all orphans here. We were all taken away from the homes that, that we now miss. Much like all Starfleet crews, we're all orphans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our friendships here could help ease the pain of of what got us in this moment. And yeah. like I found the scene fairly persuasive. If Gwyn didn't, I did, you know? Yeah. We get a flashback here that goes back to the moment when Gwyn was just a glimmer in the diviner's eye. Or his back, as it <laughs> as it is depicted. Yeah, well, uh, they took some genetic material from his neck and some from his back, etc., etc. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there is no reproductive material in his neck and his sack, only in his reproductive back. <laughs> I did not have the relationship between Dreadnought and the Diviner totally clocked, I think, because the Diviner's like, I need to have a progeny, and Dreadnought is like, no, you cannot. Yeah, I think Dreadnought sees the writing on the wall here. Like, Dreadnought has got his ambitions you know, on management here. Yeah. And it's fucking nepotism. Stopping a qualified candidate from <laughs> uh, from rising to the level in the company where they belong. Yeah. Dreadnought is just seeing, seeing this for the implications on his career. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with Dreadnought? Dreadnought can turn into a mechanical spider. That's not good enough for you, Diviner? Yeah. It's not. Dreadnought can turn into a giant gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they stick the diviner in a giant vat of liquid and then hook some umbilicals to his back and he reproduces asexually. Yeah, and that is Gwen and it's not a flashback of her memory, really. It is it is just for our benefit as viewers, right? Yeah, it's the omniscient viewer yeah. that is getting this. Back in the simulation Dal and Pog are trying to uh, trying to pick their crew, but they don't have a lot to go on. So they have the computer randomly select a crew for them. And we get kind of an all-star cast here. We get Ahura on Ops. We get Beverly Crusher as Chief Medical Officer. 
We get Odo as tactical officer, and we get Spock as first officer. They are seated not exactly where I would seat them if I was populating this crew around the Bridge of the D, but I guess a kid watching wouldn't know that. You know, what's interesting about this configuration is that it speaks to the difficulty they had using the D as a film set for its aspect ratio. So the whole problem with the Bridge of the D was Worf's station behind the horseshoe because of the narrowness of film aspect ratio. I think that's why they stuck everyone on the main level here. I thought that this was really well done. They are using archival audio of all these characters speaking, and it's not like perfect, but they got enough audio from each one of them. I mean, where it breaks down is where you have Spock's dialogue from different sources. Right. And he's like older and younger of voice. Yeah. I mean, dodging around obscures the effect a little more than like when they go to Spock and he's speaking dialogue from a movie and then from TOS in the same moment. It sounds very soundboardy. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting idea because it's like if if the primary audience of this is first timer Star Trek viewers, like kids that mm-hmm. probably don't have a lot of prior reps with Star Trek, you can't really accuse this of being fan service, but it is sort of there to plant the seeds of fandom for a kid to like make them curious about the other shows, I guess. Yeah, if Prodigy is the 100 level class of Star Trek... this is what that serves more than nostalgia i guess yeah it's a fun crew like we've been asked on past episodes like if we could put a crew together from you know all casts in star trek history who would we pull this is not exactly who i would pull together i don't think but uh it's a really fun crew do you think that's because a fan service version of this would have gotten more exotic with the choices maybe yeah Or maybe it's just that these were, like, I wondered about the audio sourcing, like, how they have that stuff archived. Like, do they have clean onset audio from all of these shows? Or, like, Spock, I wondered if they had to do some kind of sound processing to, like, remove backing track stuff. Or if they had that stuff, you know, clean from when they did the remastered version of TOS, like it's hard to know. I think it's clear that they did struggle with that because when you do dodge around to his dialogue in particular, I mean, there is some, some noise in it. Totally. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host and I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. 
And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The program ends with terrible grades for Dal. He is failing (laughs) the Kobayashi Maru test utterly. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, like, when the dilemma is first posed to him in the first run through that he reacts with the kind of like sociopathy of a teen. Like, I don't know who's on the Kobayashi Maru. Who gives a shit? Yeah. (laughs) It really burns his toast when he gets low marks for the way he conducted himself. Do you play open world video games like that, though? I know one of my first instincts when presented with. You know, I've been told this is open world. Here is my first engagement with where the choose your own adventure part happens. Right. I like deviating from whatever I'm being made to do. And I wonder how much of that is imbued in this moment. The idea of this being a game utterly and Dal playing it like the game that it is versus what you're describing as a sociopathy. Yeah. Okay. He's a good guy as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying it's an interesting combination of the two, probably. Yeah. Well, I think that also, like, that is not really my instinct with video games. And you're just a rule follower, even in games. 
Yeah. And my other instinct is not to continue playing if I suck ass at it the first time through. Yeah. (laughs) And Dal goes full Brad Boimler here with his again and again. Yeah. So he reboots the thing and begins to start over. Also in need of a reboot is uh, the protostar itself. Yeah. Seems like because uh, with Gwyn and Zero, they're kind of speculating why the Diviner would want this ship they're on so bad. And Janeway starts to tell them what the ship's mission is, but can't get it out of her mouth. Janeway has a glitch. They think like maybe it's been erased from the archives initially, but when they find out it's classified, they're like, well, maybe we can crack whatever code mm-hmm. is being used to protect the classified information on this ship. Rocktox project is the Murph eight photon grenades like a puppy ate a chicken bone <laughs> off of a sidewalk problem. Yeah, not escalating critical information to the rest of the crew about this issue. Rock Talk just asks, hypothetically, what would you do if a puppy ate a chicken bone? Asking for a friend. Uh, (laughs) I thought that the cut here was very funny. It was a a cut from Rock Talk receiving the information about this will cause an explosion to the, the ship exploding on the holodeck and the hit me again of Dell rerunning the simulation a whole bunch of times. I wonder how the intensity of all of these storylines being in sync here hits for a kid because the action really ramps up at this moment in the episode and does not relent until the end. Yeah, it's very explodey. We get close-ups of the like Klingons on on the other ships in this, which I thought was fun, fun to see. The prodigy rendition of movie-era Klingons. Yeah. Jinkampag is just a perfect sidekick for a moment like this because all Dal needs are kicks to the nuts. <laughs> and Jinkampag is more than happy to oblige. But Dal doesn't know that that's what he needs, right? Like, that's why he kicks Jankum out of the room. Well, that's interesting, right? Like, this is a moment that has a very subtly sophisticated lesson for a kid which is like when dal kicks out his friend and instead prefers a crew of sycophants npcs <laughs> so many of the world's problems have to do with matters like that totally not being able to face criticism with bravery yeah it's kind of <laughs> slightly fucked up that Star Trek Prodigy uses beloved old Star Trek characters as that. Right. <laughs> like, who's, who's going to be more supportive than Scotty? <laughs> really underscores the message. I'll stay at my post. <laughs> yeah. Rock Talk sees what happens to Murph after eating the photon grenades. And mm-hmm. the answer is just a lot of gas. Yeah. It's a fart joke. We've been building to a fart joke this entire time, which I really appreciated. Murph is the fart joke of the show. Yeah. And uh, Murph can eat just as many grenades as they want. That's because Murph is indestructible. Yeah. Rock Talk brings Murph to the bridge to make this big <laughs> announcement, which seems like it's going to hit pretty hard, but it doesn't at all. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> Janeway shushes Rock Talk and Jankum while Gwen goes through the uh, defragmentation program of Hologram Janeway and uh, finds that the secret information is actually written in the nearly dead language that only 
Gwyn and her father speak. She's a Vaunacat. Vaunacat. They're from the planet Solum. Solum. Ankylosaur. <laughs> so it's whatever that language is. Uh huh. If you can't grasp this, what chance does a twelve-year-old have? I think that naming the planet Solum is such a bad call because it's hard to hear in the soundtrack of the show. Like, yeah, when a character says, "Like I'm from Solum," it's like, "What did you say you were from?" I didn't catch that. One more time. <laughs> yeah, it's Star Trek Prodigy, directed by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back in the Kobayashi Maru. Dal goes to a stock music library and searches for music that sounds like ACDC. But isn't. Yeah. (laughs) Music that is legally distinct from ACDC. The plan, as a plan, though, is super interesting. Ejection of the warp core and then shooting it with phasers destroys the three Klingon ships out there. But he loses sight of the fourth. Yeah. There's a D7 that decloaks after he thinks he's home free. And the D7 is bearing down on them when Dal sort of accidentally inspires Spock to beam them over to the bridge of that ship. And there's a pretty fun combat sequence where Dal is phasering and Spock is neck pinching and they seize the bridge of the enemy vessel, which uh, I don't know how the Kobayashi Maru test is scored at Mm -hmm. Starfleet Academy, but I would guess that blowing up three Klingon ships and taking over a fourth would not be a winning score because that's just going to start a war with the Klingons. (laughs) (laughs) Judgment, 0.1%. Come on. I love that the physicality in this scene is something that we have come to expect from Dal throughout the entire series, like the kicking back, the lounging that Dal does (laughs) is the reason that the D gets destroyed at the end of this scene, which is big fun. It is big fun. I was a little sad about the like underlying logic of it because like I love that they blow up the D, but the idea is that he has won the simulation and then accidentally pushes one button that blows up the D and, you know, snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. I really love that the difference between firing a weapon on a Starfleet ship versus a Klingon <laughs> ship is like you could easily just swipe up against a button and shoot something <laughs> from a Klingon ship where I think it would take a lot more yeah. on the D to do that. There are no accidents in shooting weapons on the D. Yeah, but... Doesn't this sort of imply that he could just run the simulation one more time and not accidentally push that button and and get a winning score? I can do this. Boot it back up. It does, but we're not going to do that. No. <laughs> that doesn't serve the episode. I guess not. So yeah, he, he loses and in his despair, he has a kind of intense conversation with Spock that Rinch repeats some important uh, needs of the many type messaging from past Spock conversations and causes Dell to realize that leadership is not all about just being the boss and telling everybody what to do. It's partly about being there for your crew and, and hearing them when they need something from you. We talk all the time about the probability of, you know, starting at a moment in an episode and then writing in concentric circles outward from that. Yeah. And I feel like this is that moment in this episode that you write outward from. 
Like, how do we get ourselves to this moment for Dal? If it is a fait accompli that Dal is going to be the captain on this series, how do we dig him out from the hole he has dug himself and make him understand like what that entails in a in a more sophisticated way? I'm still like kind of cold on Dal being the captain. I think it should be Gwyn, but I'm pleased with the uh, with the arc of this character in this episode. It's a lot of hubris to even think that you could articulate the idea of a no-win scenario to an audience of kids and expect them to <laughs> even get that as a concept, though, right? Yeah. No-win scenario is almost jargon in Star Trek at this point. Yeah. And I thought about that, like, if they considered changing the language so that it was a little bit more palatable to a young audience or... I wonder if they like test this stuff, you know? This seems like the show that you would need to test the most. Yeah. I'd be very curious about that. Yeah. Well, back on the bridge, Dal has arrived just having won or lost the Kobayashi Maru. I guess neither. What he has learned is a valuable lesson. Yeah. He learned something today. <laughs> And the crew all together learn something about the origins of the Protostar, which is that it was captained by Captain Chakotay. That makes me feel a little better. They don't have like a ton of this information. It's still fragmented and there's a lot of it and a lot to go through. But Hologram Janeway realizes that the crew of Star Trek Prodigy are not the first crew that she was ever a Hologram Janeway for. Yeah. Nice to hear uh, Captain Chakotay in there, though. Which, if they bothered to look around the ship at all, like they might have noticed some personal effects. <laughs> hey, what's this bindle over here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a there's kind of a weird tapestry and some stones. Must be some sort of fetish. <laughs> what a weird thing to leave behind. There's the ramblings of someone hired by a show called Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> The uh, last screen on the episode is a little in memoriam for Rene Aubergenois, Jimmy Doohan, and Leonard Nimoy, which I thought was really nice. I uh, I wondered like how that hits for a young audience. I hope it uh, causes them to ask questions and get curious about those other series. It bumped me a bit in this way. Does it make it easier to forgive the use of a dead person's work when you dedicate that work to their memory? This might just be my inner cynic yeah. talking, and my inner cynic is enormous, obviously. <laughs> I want to say personally, it did not affect me in a negative way, but it really made me think about stuff like this. Yeah. I wonder if permission was asked for from their estates. Yeah. And how awkward that's got to be if you're a producer that has to make that ask. Like, yeah. Ugh. I mean, we're going to see more and more of that in media. And yeah. I wonder I wonder about that stuff. I mean- I do too. It might just be that Star Trek owns that audio and are free to use the likenesses of those characters whenever they want, but I don't know. Well, by being so preoccupied with these questions, it really did bump me out of the conclusion of a fairly exciting episode, Ben. Did you like the episode? I think on balance I did. I um, yeah, like I agree that that last thing posed more questions in a, in my mind than it answered. I was kind of hoping for more stuff to push Gwen toward the captain's chair than stuff 
Like the A storyline is all about pushing Dal towards the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. The B storyline is definitely about Gwyn unpacking stuff with her relationship with her father and the C storyline is a fart joke. So <laughs> um, I really liked the A and B stories, but I sort of wished that the like upshot of them was almost the reverse. Like I, I'm more curious about Dal's backstory in some ways than I am about Gwyn's. And I'm more interested in Gwyn being captain than I am in Dal. Yeah, because the show sort of broke format here in a way that I think is incredibly important because... By going back 17 years ago and you're given the omniscience of Gwyn's backstory, you now allow the possibility of doing the same for Dal in a way that we were right. not permitted up until now. Like we see things through Dal's eyes in these first six or seven episodes. And the mystery of his character is that he doesn't know where he came from or who his parents are or anything. Right. And now all of a sudden we're permitted this ability to dodge through time in a way that is manipulative. Totally. I think this was another example of when you play for nostalgia, you can get it wrong and really spoil an episode. But I think this is another example of a fun combination of having to teach an audience what Star Trek is about and all of its many rules. Yeah. And using nostalgia to do it, but not in a way that is gross that I would reject. I don't know how it's able to do that. I think that is fairly magical at this moment yeah it's doing it right somehow but i think the less they do it probably the better I th- they've got to be so careful with this stuff i think yeah this is precious pickle brine and we don't want to just put <laughs> low quality pickles in with it you know no clausen's only pickleologist dr cucumbus clausen delicious clausen's are the best Adam, you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the inbox? Oh, yeah. I'm on my way there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Hey, we got a couple here. The first one is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. Do you like video game music? Want to hear beautiful arrangements of the classics and some eclectic originals? Then you should check out my boyfriend's account on SoundCloud. He's an amazing composer and arranger, but he's terrible at self-promotion, so this is my birthday gift to him. Also, consider hiring him to make music for you. He's worth it. Look up Red Tree Music on SoundCloud or head to bit.ly slash redtreemusic, all lowercase. That's bit.ly slash redtreemusic. The Doughboys have been doing this bit about how uh, people are too nervous to say hi to them in public, and so they have their girlfriends <laughs> come and do it. And I'm not saying that's what this is, yeah. but this is a very supportive partner pimping their partner's work here. I like it. On SoundCloud, and I, and I like it a lot. Yeah. That's a nice gift from, from Sam to Sam's boyfriend. And I think everybody should go check out Red Tree Music on SoundCloud. We speak from experience as ex-video producers, even more so. It is so hard to find good music for your work. So definitely check out Red Tree Music if you're looking. Yeah, nearly impossible. Uh, So Red Tree is where to go. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Buddy from Carmel, M-E. Buddy from Carmel Me. <laughs> Carmel Me, Ben. 
caramel me like one of your French women. I'm gonna go out on a limb and speculate that it, it may be pronounced Carmel, like <laughs> like the California city of the same spelling. <laughs> the message is for Ben and Adam, and it goes like this: Hey guys, been a listener since Rus Faravar's Ars Technica article got me hooked on your show. Wow. I want to thank you so much for the laughs over the years and for changing how I view all TV and movies everywhere for the better by making me think about writing and production. Hope you consider a show in the other Portland or banger. Row plus Kern, please. <laughs> Buddy from, from Carmel, Maine is, uh, is pretty upset at the way you pronounce Bangor <laughs> based on this pronunciation guy. <laughs> Oh no! I'm sorry, buddy. Um, you know what? It's it's only right that I mispronounced every single word of this P1. <laughs> Bang or? Yeah. How would row plus kern work? Like, because row is a drop and kern is a is a character. Yeah, this is a combination that uh, that's got us got us confused. I have a huge crush on a single character from Star Trek The Next Generation, but I cannot remember which one. Perhaps this drop will jog my memory. The sound of breaking glass makes me exquisitely horny. (laughs) And I do not remember why. Maybe I'll retire to Banger, Maine. (laughs) Caramel me. Buddy. (laughs) Well, as Sam and Buddy know, uh, Priority One messages are one of the great ways to support the greatest discovery. Yeah. And we do a great job reading them every single time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If if you're going for perfect reads, you can take your text on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get it booked. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Pog this episode. You know, Pog kind of has a thankless task in this one, sort of being not the subject of any of the storylines and sort of asked to leave many of the (laughs) storylines. But uh, the barf on the face from Murph and then also like not reporting how fast they had gone very frustrating to me. I want I want Pog to tell us how fast they went. Yeah. I want to know. I think that's an important detail. Yeah. How about yourself? Did you find an Edward Larkin in this episode? It would have been great. I mean, the episode couldn't tell us if it broke the warp barrier because it would have broken the episode of Voyager we got where Paris and Janeway got turned into lizards. Lizards who fucked. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to enter this into the log. I look forward to reading it. So we can't have that. Yeah. So maybe it's better better done as a, as a mystery. For me, the Edward Larkin is clearly Murph because you can't eat photon grenades and not be the Edward Larkin of an episode in my mind. Yeah, this is true. Permanent fart joke Murph. <laughs> it's going to be hard to dethrone as the Edward Larkin of this show. Yeah. Maybe Jenkin Pog is the only one who possibly could. I just think that I'm maybe threatened by Murph as better at doing fart jokes than I am. Yeah. Yeah, he's a physical comic. Really appreciate that. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Adam, that's it for this episode of Star Trek colon Prodigy. We've not as yet received screeners for next week's episode, so I don't, uh, I don't have anything to report on what it's called or what it's about, but uh, we're looking forward to it. What I can report is that we've got one, two, three, four more episodes of Prodigy before it goes back onto hiatus. So that's what the next month is going to be for us on The Greatest Discovery. It's going to be all Prodigy all the time, and then Discovery, it spools back up in February. Sky's the limit for us now that uh, now that Wendy Pretty is producing the show, and uh, I think she is going to take it out with some credits right now. All we wanted when we were auditioning producers is credit reels, and uh, <laughs> hers was the strongest. She did the best job of anybody yeah. reading credits, so take it away, Wendy. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica, produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Our music is by Adam Ragusea. Get subscribed to his cooking channel on YouTube. On Instagram and Twitter, we're at Greatest Trek, and those accounts are managed by the card daddy, Bill Tilly. There are a lot of ways that you can support this show. You can tell someone you know about it or leave a nice review online. Get a P1 for an upcoming episode or join as a member at MaximumFun.org donate. That gets you access to a spreadsheet full of bonus content. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.